Yes, indeed. I do need somebody to show me the light. Well, how about I show myself the light? I, I kind of like being a little bit of independent, as Rudolph used to say. Uh, welcome to an informed live radio on 1150 AM KKNW. I'm your host, Bernadette Pager. Uh, we're into a new year. Um, and, you know, things are really crazy, but I am a hopeless optimist. And I really feel like I feel like America, even the entire planet, is, so, uh, is sort of going through some growing up um, happening here. We're all learning how easy it is to have fundamental freedoms taken away, um, you know, uh, in various ways in the name of fear. And we all have got to learn, I think, in our own way, on our own path, how to stand in truth, how to inform ourselves how to find peaceful ways toward uh, justice, um, toward what is right, um, tried to fairness. It's it's a difficult journey, but but well worth it. And I feel like uh, in this COVID chaos, we will we will all get there if we just keep our minds open and our hearts open. And um, I want to invite listeners to remember to uh, to check out Informed Choice Washington's website, informedchoicewa.org. We try very hard to keep you up to date with some of the most important um, aspects of what's going on in the world, mostly concerning, um, you know, vaccination and policy, so that you can make informed decisions. We have now on our website a, a post. Um, it's on the homepage under recent posts, but you'll also always be able to find it underneath the, the COVID-19 tab um, called Fast Facts to COVID-19 Vaccine Concerns. And on that, uh, on that page, we'll again we'll keep try to keep it updated. Things are happening so very fast. We kind of give you the highlights: the fact that these um, investigational vaccines are liability free, that there are alternatives, there are nutrient and drug therapies that have been proven to be able to prevent uh, severe disease, even prevent infection if if it happens to be your low in nutrients and you get your vitamin D on board and such things. And then also questionable safety and effectiveness of these investigational products that are out there. And I'm just going to read to you real quick um, the list of unknowns that the, the FDA has told us they do not know. This list comes from the EUA um, authorization meeting by the FDA, but it pertains to the Moderna vaccine as well. So we don't yet know the duration of immunity past two months. We don't know the effectiveness and safety in kids and in pregnant women. We don't know subgroup variability in effectiveness or safety. We don't know any long-term vaccine adverse events. We don't know the effect on asymptomatic infection or infectiousness. We don't know if it's gonna stop transmission. We don't know the effect in previously infected patients. This is sort of a big concern because Dr. Duchin, um, a couple of weeks ago at a vaccine advisory committee meeting here in Washington state said that um, he's having reported to him, uh, he said lots, lots of grade three reactions in people getting a mRNA COVID-19 vaccine who recently had COVID-19. So there's a lot of caution that needs to be taken there. 
We don't know if it will prevent enhanced respiratory disease, which means that it may increase your risk of a more severe or fatal case of COVID-19. Believe it or not, even though they knew this is one of the possible outcomes for any coronavirus vaccine, they did not determine if it was capable of doing this in the clinical trials before they gave it emergency use authorization. They don't know if it will protect against any long-term COVID-19 risks. They don't know if it will work as the virus changes, and they don't know its effect on mortality. They don't know if using it will change overall mortality numbers. So there's an awful lot of unknowns, and there's a whole much more on that webpage about lipid nanoparticles, about the spike protein, about PEG and polysorbic allergies and the mechanism of injury. So I, I encourage you, check it out, share it with friends and family, really do your research so that you know what you're getting into. Um, you know, before you say yes, it's, it's so important. I also wanted to let listeners know that there are um, a couple of really good bills now in Olympia for you to consider. Um, House Bill 1006 would protect, um, it says, an act relating to protecting the right of every Washington resident to decline in immunization or vaccination based on religion or conscience. And there's another one um, called uh, HB 1065, and it's similar, but it's a COVID-19 um, vaccine and epidemic type vaccine specific, and it would make it so that no requirements could even be done if certain science um, has not yet been done on the vaccines, that nobody could require them. And there's now um, a Senate bill, SB 5144, an act relating to protecting the right of every Washington resident to decline in immunization or vaccination for COVID-19. So I, and there's, and there's a lot more bills that we're sort of monitoring and following. And we give you a list for you to check it out to see what's going on in your government. Even though everything is happening remotely, um, you can get involved. You can still comment on bills. You can contact your legislators and set up Zoom meetings. You can give remote testimony at uh, committee hearings. We have um, instructions on our website for how you can go about doing that. So I encourage you to check that out and become an active citizen. I think we have Part of why everything I think got a little bit crazy is there's a lot of complacency happening in the United States of America thinking, ah, somebody else to take care of it or there's nothing I can do. Well, I tell you, that kind of attitude gets us in trouble. So I encourage you to become an active citizen, uh, get engaged, let your voice be heard and, and let's make the, the state um, that we want to live in. And with that said, I am going to move on. I'm very excited. I see that my special guest has arrived. Um, and I will just introduce you to her. Her name is Dr. Meryl Nass. She is an internal medicine physician and activist with expertise in anthrax and bioterrorism. Her interest is in prevention and safe and effective medical responses. Her expertise and experience includes treating patients with Gulf War syndrome and ad adverse effects from the anthrax vaccine. Uh, Dr. Nass is a physician practicing individualized medicine in Maine in accordance with the Hippocratic Oath. She's a longtime member of the board of the Alliance for Human Research Protection. And with that, I'm going to say welcome, Dr. Nass, and ask you to unmute yourself if you can see that little button there on um, 
on your Zoom and and hopefully we can uh, begin to hear you. Hi. Hi. Ah, uh, yay, I hear your voice. <laughs> I don't get to see you, but I can hear you. So we do have a radio audience in the greater Puget Sound area and in Seattle that can hear you. And we're streaming also to YouTube. Great. Thank you. Yeah. So um, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. I mean, how did you become not just, you know, a physician, but an activist physician? Well, um, <laughs> uh, what you didn't say is that the first thing that um, sort of I was known for was I, I discovered that there was a an anthrax outbreak that was very large in Zimbabwe. And um, I discovered it by chance. I, I had actually been asked to investigate a professor at the University of Massachusetts who was doing research on anthrax by Physicians for Social Responsibility, which I was a member of. And um, so in the process of looking into his research, which was for the Defense Department and, and had to do with a sort of primitive genetic engineering of anthrax, um, I decided just to look at all the recent anthrax outbreaks and see if it was in fact, um, you know, they were natural occurrences or biological warfare events because everyone was worried about anthrax as a, a biological warfare agent. And so yeah. I discovered that one was really different. Can, can you explain um, to everybody, you know, we've all heard the term anthrax, but I think a lot of us don't really understand what anthrax is. Yeah, that? that's right, because there's almost no cases in the United and in the United States or really anywhere else. So anthrax is, is a bacterium, mm -hmm. but it makes a spore and it's a very, very impermeable spore so that the spores can last for 100 years, maybe more in the environment. And when certain weather conditions occur, they can germinate bacteria it's as if they're in suspended animation they can start growing and then cause disease so the disease is a severe disease where does it tend to be while it's inactive hibernating where is it found in the soil it's in soil, or? It's, in soil. It's, in soil. Um, it's generally occurred as it can affect any almost any kind of animal but generally in the u.s it's along the um trails where cows travel. So from mm -hmm. Texas up to Canada, along those trails, there have been anthrax cases many decades ago. And every so often they, they come out and you'll get a few cases. So every year or two, you're gonna get cases in the US and so occasionally in Canada um, and in other parts of the world. Mm -hmm. And people used to get it mostly from working with animal fur or in tanneries, animal mm -hmm. hides, or bone meal made from animals that had had anthrax. And so if you inhale it um, and you don't know what you have and you don't take antibiotics, it's, you know, 90% fatal inhaled. But if you take antibiotics quickly, it's, you, you can get over it. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, it was always considered since the early 1900s, sort of um, the typical biological warfare agent because these spores could be 
blown up in a bomb and still survive and then wow. spread or you could you could put it in a you know a, a sprayer for example a crop duster and you could spray it and it would survive as a spore not as a lot you know not as a germinated bacterium and then it it could cause disease either immediately or later on so it it was developed by actually in during world war ii the united states was making anthrax weapons for the purpose of using them against germany had the war gone on longer and they needed to use them um, we also made them after world war ii up until about 1970 and stored them as biological weapons and so did several other countries it just it it it's mind-boggling that you know humans have thought of such things you know and the innocent casualties but we go on so thank you for that i i do understand it better it was something i i really hadn't ever explored before i'd heard of it used as a weapon but i didn't understand how it existed in nature so so you were saying that you were investigating this outbreak in africa yes and so it's the largest ever recorded um and there were uh, i can't oh, i actually I think there were about 200 deaths. There are over 10,000 cases in humans and a huge number of cases in cattle. And um, it had many characteristics that were unlike all the other anthrax outbreaks I was looking into. And actually few people, very few people look into anthrax outbreaks because they're few and far between and, and occur in separated regions. Mm -hmm. um, well, I, you know, I was stirred up by this i said my god you know 200 people died and you know nobody knows it happened during a civil war or whites against blacks um i felt like i needed to see if i could prove it was biological warfare and people should be aware that those things can happen and so i did that um, and i completed the research almost 30 years ago wow that's amazing. And so what came of that? You you discovered that it, it was biological warfare. And was there any repercussions? Were there any changes made? Was anybody held liable or responsible for? Um, I, I did go to Zimbabwe at, to do some of the research and met. And luckily, I had a friend who had worked in Zimbabwe. And so I was able to speak with some government officials there. It was published in the media in Zimbabwe. So people were, uh, you know, who suspected it or they, they, the people of Zimbabwe became aware that this had happened to them. Wow. And, and the BBC actually did a, a couple of shows on biological warfare and they sent uh, somebody to Zimbabwe and who interviewed the former head of the veterinary services and he acknowledged that yes biological weapons had been used there so actually this was the first time published that anyone had taken an epidemic and using epidemiology and science showed that it was not natural it was biological warfare wow so, so i'm kind of known for that yeah <laughs> yeah i i admire your your curiosity and then taking it to the next step and the next step to to find the answers and you know that's 
Dr. Nass, that's exactly where we're living now, isn't it? Is, is scientists like you who aren't just taking at face value what's being presented in the media or even by public health agencies, but researching very carefully and closely to see um, what is really happening uh, with the SARS-CoV-2, with the response to SARS-CoV-2. Um, it's, it's been quite a mess at times. So uh, what has been your, uh, what have you been researching the most regarding COVID-19 and the virus? I, I um, actually have jumped around as I saw the need in different areas. Mm -hmm. So in the, in the beginning, I tried to explain to people how one protects themselves from an organism like this. And um, then, of course, I realized that there was some manipulation of the numbers of cases and deaths. And I have sort of been working on that on and off for a number of months. And that's um, mainly with the, the inappropriate use of PCR tests and it's, with it's the CDC very, changing the guidelines for filling out death certificates. And there's lots of factors that went into that, right? Exactly. There are many factors. There, there are odd case definitions. There were, uh, as there was the use of test results without any clinical um, symptoms. So as we've begun, you know, we're doing sometimes more than 2 million tests a day in the United mm -hmm. States. And so you're always going to get, the more tests you do, the more positives you're going to have, mm -hmm. right? Double the tests, you may, in fact, you're going to double your false positives at any rate. Mm -hmm. And so um, the way it's currently def defined by CDC is every positive PCR regardless of whether there are any symptoms or any exposures is counted as a case. Every positive antigen test is counted as a probable case, which is by CDC counted as a case. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If you have a positive antibody test and you have certain other features, you're also counted as a case. So those are just lab results without any clinical anything. Yeah. And then if it's on a death certificate, um, this, the states have been told to put COVID on the death certificate, even if it was a gunshot wound or a motorcycle accident um, and had nothing, COVID had nothing to do with the death. But if a person had had a positive COVID test during a certain period of time before that, hopefully that's a month right now in, in the UK for a while, it could have been at any time in the past if you had had a positive COVID test and then you died of anything, you were counted as a COVID death. Um, so, so there are many different ways this, is, and as you said, and the tests are not that accurate. No. FDA has even warned about the antigen tests not being accurate and giving you false positives. Mm -hmm. um, and there have been warnings about false negatives primarily with the PCRs, but they, the PCR can also give you false positives. So yeah. it's complicated, but um, the number of deaths has been exaggerated. 
It, it has been, and, and we do know that there have been some communities more impacted than others. And of course, um, the elderly, and especially the elderly with chronic health issues, have been the hardest hit. They are, most of the cases have been in the long-term care community and, um, and nursing homes. Um, but I found such hypocrisy recently with the rollout of these mRNA um, investigational vaccines, we are hearing from the CDC and other public health agencies, don't be alarmed if soon after some of these people in these long-term facilities, um, if, if they, fast, they pass away um, soon after receiving the vaccine. Uh, we don't know, that doesn't mean they died from the vaccine. They're elderly, they have chronic issues, and they die all the time. So it doesn't mean anything you know, we can't say for sure, um, you know, just because there was that, uh, um, it happened in the, you know, I can't think of it. There's a word I'm looking for and I'm, and it's just escaping me, but anyway, in, in close right. proximity, you know, this temporal, right. temporal association, temporal. Thank you, my dear. Um, and so, but I'm thinking, no, wait a minute here. So we are made to feel responsible. We're, we're made to, quit our jobs, quit school, lock ourselves up, be willing to forfeit our economy, our, our very lives, just in case we get some sort of asymptomatic case of COVID and talk to somebody who gives it to somebody who gives it to the elderly person in the um, nursing care facility and they pass away with a positive PCR test. And, you know, and so many of us, um, you know, have been pointing out that did they die with COVID with a positive test or of COVID, of the symptoms. And here they're telling us that very same community exposed to a vaccine and I'm, I'm, I want to know, okay, did they die with the vaccine or of the vaccine? So apparently we're just supposed to shrug and say, oh, well, it was probably their time, right? But we couldn't dare do that if they happened to have a positive PCR test for COVID. Do you see what I'm saying? The, the hypocrisy, we're supposed to accept their death after vaccination as natural. And it, it's just, it's, it's this weird reversal of, um, of how we're supposed to feel. And I just, it's just, yes, um, I'm not, a, I, I got to find a way to articulate that better. But <laughs> You're doing a good job. I mean, there's two other things. There were six states in which the governors directed um, the hospitals to send patients back, even while they were still contagious to nursing homes. Yeah. And that caused a lot of deaths in the elderly. So you say, well, if you're so worried about the elderly, why did you do that? Um, yeah, in, and Nor here, in Norway, um, the government actually investigated and did autopsies and decided that the vaccine had killed elderly in the nursing homes wow. and now um, advised not to vaccinate the very frail elderly in Norway. Yeah, well, you know, it is it's known that any sort of, you know, strong immune provocation in somebody that's fragile could lead to their demise. And, you know, the same, you know, and that's why in the past, well, not even in the past, for everything except COVID, um, a recent infection is not put down as a cause of death, but maybe a factor of death, right? You know, so if you get a cold, but you are already in long-term care with a lot of health issues, the cause of death doesn't, isn't put down as your cold. That might be the, um, a, a factor, but not what caused your death. 
Right. And so we're not comparing apples and oranges at all to how these death certificates are, are, are filled out and what's going on with the fragile. I'm very proud of Norway for not subjecting um, people in these fragile states to the immune provocation of a product that we don't even know will protect them. You know, they don't need that inflammation cytokine reaction in their fragile state. Well, the other thing is, is even if it was a good vaccine, which it probably isn't, would it help them? Because the flu shot, there's no evidence the flu shot prevents deaths in the elderly. No. There's no evidence that the new Pneumovax, the old pneumococcal vaccine, really helps the elderly. Yeah. Um, they get it, but there isn't the epidemiologic evidence that it's beneficial. It's sort of like, well, we, we've got the vaccine, we better do something. And again, the flu is often the thing that tips a frail elderly person over and results in death. Um, so, mm -hmm. you know, are people in their 80s going to even mount an immune response to the vaccine? I mean, CDC, FDA are constantly looking for a more effective vaccine for the elderly. They have got, you know, helped to create vaccines that have five times as much antigen and vaccines that have very strong adjuvants that aren't really allowed in, for the rest of the population in flu shots for the elderly because mm -hmm. they acknowledge the regular flu shots do not work. What, what um, I, it really annoys me, the disrespect for the life cycles of, of individuals. By that, I mean like, you know, we're always trying to overcome where people are naturally in their lives because we think that, you know, we know better of what, how they should react to things. With infants, when you go read um, some of the research being done to develop um, infant vaccines, they're always talking about how it's so difficult to get an immune response in a, in a child under the age of one. They're, and, and it's like, why don't they stop to think why it is that the human immune system after all this time decided not to have these very large reactions to the, um, microbial world until a certain age they don't respect that and because and and the same with the elderly you know things change and nutrient especially in the united states we have such unhealthy people and unhealthy practices but you know if to me if we respect where somebody is in their immune development stage or where they are and then come at it from that natural side of why are they susceptible how does that help them how does that hurt them and um and i think that's a good segue to what i think where i love our conversation to to kind of live for the next half hour here after we're going to take a break here in a minute but of um of kind of where you started all of this is how do we address to safely navigate COVID? How do you help protect yourself as an individual at any stage of life so that you are resistant, resilient? And if you do um, are exposed and you do catch it, how, what steps can you do to ensure you don't develop severe disease? So that's what I really want to talk to you about, Dr. Nass, when we come back from the break. So we'll be gone for about three or four minutes here. You're listening to an informed life radio on 1150 AM KKNW.
Did you know that in 1986, Congress passed the National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act, granting liability protection to drug companies for injuries and deaths caused by their vaccine products recommended to children? Did you know injuries and deaths of pregnant women and their unborn children were added to the act in 2016? Did you know that on February 4th, 2020, drug companies who make COVID-19 vaccines were placed under the liability protection of the Public Readiness and Emergency Preparedness Act, known as the PrEP Act? To learn the history of how we got here in order to protect yourself now and in the future, you must see the film, 1986, The Act. Go to 1986theact.com today. Hi, I'm Lynn Redwood, president of the nonprofit Children's Health Defense. Our chairman, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., and our entire team are devoted to ending the epidemic of illnesses and disorders plaguing our children today. Through legal action, we're working to hold industries and government agencies accountable and to establish safeguards to prevent further harm. We're working overtime during this COVID-19 crisis to keep you informed about the politics and science of rush vaccine candidates. Freedom and our children's futures have never been more in jeopardy, but we can succeed. With your help, we can stop the devastation and give our children and grandchildren the healthy future they deserve. To learn more about what we're doing and how you can help, visit childrenshealthdefense.org and sign up for our free news. Please visit childrenshealthdefense.org today. So you know, all healing begins in the cells. And for the cells to do their job, well, they need the right nutrients, like vitamin C and D, and gases, like oxygen. Did you know that there is a treatment that infuses every cell of your body with oxygen? Hyperbaric Oxygen Therapy, HBOT for short, is a safe and effective medical treatment that can be used in therapies for many injuries and diseases. HBOT was actually used successfully during the 1918 Spanish flu pandemic to treat hypoxia and respiratory failure. And it's now being used to successfully treat COVID-19 as several clinical trials are underway. HBOT increases your production of glutathione, which is critical to immune function and increases stem cell proliferation. To learn more about this century-old technology that is the future of medicine, visit hbotnews.org today. That's hbotnews.org. Are you suffering from a sinking feeling that the COVID-19 pandemic is being blown out of proportion and that nothing in the news is making any sense? If so, then there is a fact-based, science-driven news show designed just for you. My name is Del Bigtree, and I am the host of The High Wire, the world's most trusted news source in digital media when it comes to accurate, science-based reporting on the COVID-19 pandemic. From COVID-19 vaccine development to mask mandates, school shutdowns to job layoffs, The High Wire goes beyond providing you with the most accurate, evidence-based investigations. We send you links to the sources for all of our reporting so that you can further your own investigation and come to your own informed conclusions. High above the agenda-driven circus of mainstream media, we do not run. We do not hide from the truth. Instead, we walk the high wire. If you care about truth, then join us on Instagram, Twitter, Roku, and our website, thehighwire.com.
Welcome back to an informed life radio on 1150 AM KKNW. I'm your host, Bernadette Pager. And with me is Dr. Meryl Nass. And we were talking about COVID and COVID-19 vaccines before the break. But we're going to move on now to talking about health, about, you know, we're going to have to live with um with coronavirus, you know, it's going to mutate and change and sort of be with us, like the colds with us and the flus with us. And rather than live in hiding in fear, let's figure out how to live in harmony, how to protect ourselves um, and our loved ones. So, you know, we can get back on to living and thriving as we really should do. So uh, where do you think, where should we begin, Dr. Ness, with, with this conversation? How about we, we start with things that we can do to um, make sure our immune systems are prepared if we are exposed to a virus like SARS-CoV-2? Well, I want to disagree with you that this is something we're going to have to live with. I think okay. the virus mutates all the time, you know, and most viruses mutate and become less virulent over time. So I happen to think, maybe I'm being an optimist, that this is going to turn into something like a cold, and it's not going to be a deadly disease after some period of time goes by. Um, you know, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, there are questions about where it came from in the first place, and I happen to think it was derived from a laboratory, and that this is not a natural thing that is happening to us, and that, you know, one way to protect ourselves is to shut down laboratories that are doing research that enhances the, the pathogenicity, the virulence, the deadliness, and the infectiousness of microorganisms. And we actually have an international treaty that says you're not supposed to make these things, but but in fact they were made, and and many of them were made with American money and some in American labs. So, yeah. Let me just start out there. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, that's really good to hear, and you know, I that's my understanding as well as a science writer, not as a an MD like you. So it's great to hear you reiterate that generally these things do mutate to a. Um, a, uh, a more livable form that becomes more of a nuisance than, <laughs> than troublesome. So that's, that's very good to hear. Um, so yeah, go ahead. Okay. Um, well, what we've learned from COVID, uh, which a lot of people knew already, but most of us didn't, is that people with low vitamin D levels are more susceptible to the disease and particularly are more likely to have a serious case. Yes. So that vitamin D is protective and we all should make sure that our levels are in the normal range. And I, I can say from yes. my own experience with patients that if your level is low, you're, you're apt to have a chronic pain disorder. Interesting. You know, people, people with vitamin D levels of 15 or 20 often hurt a lot and they stop hurting when their vitamin D level comes up. So um, yeah. that's one thing. Now, zinc is another. You know, we all, you know, people, there are zinc lozenges for colds and, and flu, but turns out zinc is um, effective to, to some degree against viruses and that there are a number of things that help zinc get into cells. Mm -hmm. um, quercetin is one of those over-the-counter items um, mm -hmm. that uh, is said to uh, work with zinc to kill COVID. Mm -hmm. 
Um, some of these things probably kill more than COVID. They may kill influenza viruses. They may kill uh, a variety of other viruses. So mm -hmm. it turned out, and again, most people didn't know this, that drugs in the quinine class, so chloroquine, quinine, hydroxychloroquine, mefloquine, are all viral killers, COVID killers. And um, have been used successfully as prophylaxis and treatment. They, they require a prescription. Now, um, something that I did was to identify, uh, so what happened, this is a really um, hard to believe story. In March, um, in the United States, but also in a number of Western countries, in many countries of most countries of Western Europe, Australia, New Zealand, um, Canada, restrictions were placed on the prescribing, the sales of chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine and mefloquine for COVID. And governments did this at the state level, at the national level, um, the WHO, conducted trials of, with hydroxychloroquine, but designed the trials with four times the proper dose. And probably this led to a number of subjects dying because you can't give four times the normal dose. You have to give the normal dose of, the, of these drugs. And, um, and they must be given early with zinc. The, uh, the, it's my understanding that the chloroquine drugs work best um, very early on um, in order to prevent severe disease. But if you've already got at the critical stage, that's not where this drug shines. Is that correct? Yeah. So if you're, if you're using a viral killer, you have to use it when the vir numbers of viruses are rising. And um, at the, the second half of this illness is an autoimmune syndrome unrelated to you know, the virus could be gone but your whole body has started attacking itself. And so the antiviral drugs are not gonna be so helpful at that point. They have to be taken early. Mm -hmm. um, for, for any you know, any time you wanna take a drug early for the best results, right? If you have pneumonia or strep throat, same thing. It works faster uh, and better. So these, the anyway. Well, there were some fraudulent studies. There was just so much with hydroxychloroquine that is, it really shone a spotlight on what's wrong with the like corporate capture of our, um, uh, of the whole public health system and the like the scientific journals because fraudulent studies were published. Luckily, the whole world was watching and some wonderful doctors and scientists immediately spotted it and said called foul and they were retracted but you could you could just see how the um with billions of dollars at stake for whoever snagged the prize of the drug treatment um or the vaccine treatment you know shenanigans um were afoot everywhere and people suffered for it it was really tragic uh, if um if listeners go to healthyimmunitynow.org um, you will find a, a, so much information about everything that Dr. Nass and I are talking about now and, and will be leading into, including all of the um, hydroxychloroquine studies, links to all of them that, that show that it works um, and that in many countries are using it. 
Yeah. Um, as I said, it was people in the United States thought that it was a Trump anti-Trump problem, but it actually wasn't because other states also banned it. And um, what this means is that the governments in many places are not working for the citizens. They, mm -hmm. and they were, ha and they, they're, what they did has greatly prolonged the pandemic. Yes, I, I agree. I've been speaking out here and at Washington State, speaking to at Board of Health meetings, to um, Department of Health meetings, writing to the governor, writing to the Secretary of Health, with all of the effective treatment protocols, with the link to all the science, just pleading with vitamin D at the top of my list. Please, please, please. In fact, you know, I was yesterday, I gave public comment as well. And it just nothing you get nothing. And I just it's, it's so infuriating. But then there's an there's another um, hydroxychloroquine is still being used successfully in many places around the world, um, like for early treatment, but there's another drug that ivermectin can, what do you want to know about it? Because the, uh, the COVID-19 critical care group, who uh, started off with hydroxychloroquine is that. Okay, go so, ahead. Um, so ivermectin is apparently even better than the chloroquine drugs at treating COVID and can and has some effectiveness late, um, mm -hmm. but it also is a viral killer and should be used early. Both, both the chloroquines and ivermectin, its brand name is Stromectol in the United States, um, can also be used for prophylaxis. Mm -hmm. um, what's important is that in half the states approximately, hydroxychloroquine is still restricted in, in different ways in different states, but ivermectin is not restricted. Any doctor can prescribe it. The average size person only needs about eight tablets for a full course of treatment. In South Africa, it too was banned for COVID um, the day before Christmas. Wow. So far, that's the only country that has put a ban on it. But it, it, it seemed like a trial balloon. Will they do to ivermectin what was done to the chloroquine drugs? And I'm therefore recommending to people to talk to your doctor right now. Go to the c19study.com website, which has 300 studies on the chloroquines and it has over 30 studies on ivermectin. Show these studies to your doctor and get a prescription ahead of time in case it gets banned in the United States. Mm -hmm. Well, it can be life-saving for you. Yeah, that's excellent advice. And um, both of these drugs have been uh, around a long time. The ivermectin is, is a drug that's been around for a very long time. 40 um, years. Yeah. And um, what are its uses in the past and what sort of safety concerns were there with it or are there? Um, so in the United States, its primary use is for heartworm in dogs and other animals, but it is also used for hookworm, for head lice, for scabies, um, for some other worms. Mm -hmm. uh, the it has a very long half-life, which hydroxychloroquine does also, very, very long half-life, but you're only taking a few pills of each so that it doesn't build up in your system to dangerous levels unless there's a drug interaction. Mm -hmm. The most serious drug interactions are with drugs for organ transplants, 
Um, there are about 80 minor interactions with other drugs and you can Google them if you want to mm -hmm. check your medications and so can your doctor. Um, yeah, I, I use it, it, uh, it, a couple of those it, drug interaction checkers that are online whenever I or a relative find ourselves in need of checking that readily yeah. available, yeah. Um, the chloroquine drugs have been around for over 65 years. Mm -hmm. um, they're, you know, they were based on quinine, which was from the bark of the cinchona tree. Um, ivermectin is based on a, a product that was um, isolated from uh, streptococcal bacteria. Hmm. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, something that often makes you sick is uh, it's a little bit of hair of the dog, I guess, <laughs> almost in the realm of homeopathy there. Um, well, these, you know, bacteria and plants have to, you know, they have, they're competing with each other and mm -hmm. they have to make things that kill off the, the competition. Mm -hmm. A lot of drugs, penicillin, for example, came from bacteria. From bread mold. 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 Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, nature does provide everything that we need, you know, and uh, the drug companies come along and they figure out what nature um, does the, the brilliance. And then they try to extract just that little component that they think did the, the most work. And then they make a synthetic form and then they sell it. <laughs> right. Because yeah. you can't patent the natural product. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is there anything when you're taking ivermectin, when you're taking hydroxychloroquine, you need to take zinc with it because that's part of its mechanism of action, as I understand it. What about ivermectin? Is there a particular uh, nutrient that really needs to be taken with it in order for it to be most effective? I don't think we really know, but I think it, you ought to, t I mean, there are a lot of nutrients that are useful in diseases in general. So when you, when you, are really sick with COVID, you have lots of inflammation and taking things that are anti-inflammatory or that help you to detox, you know, like N-acetylcysteine or glutathione, vitamin C, you know, mm -hmm. and there are a host of other products, you know, mm -hmm. oxygen, some doctors say hyperbaric oxygen are, are all, oxygen is a, is a, a reducing agent, oxidizing mm -hmm. agent, and it's not an antioxidant, but still useful. Um, yeah, um, Ted, a lot of things people are using, and there are a number yeah. of protocols, um, but uh, most of these protocols have not been tested, you know, in a really scientific manner. But the, yeah. the things that are recommended won't hurt you. Next week, I'll be having on Dr. Brownstein. Um, who's a medical doctor who uses nutrient and oxygen uh, protocols uh, for COVID-19. And he has a published study, case study on his, he had 107 um, successfully treated cases of COVID with his nutrient and oxygen therapies. And uh, he's got a book coming out. So I'm looking forward to talking to him and interviewing him about that. You know, there's, there's no money in, um, and researching the, the nutrient and the off patent drug protocols. So, you know, it, it takes longer to get the word out and to get the published information out there uh, and even longer um, to try to get some acknowledgement, acknowledgement from um, say the CDC or the FDA that these things can be used. But luckily we still have a certain level of medical freedom in this country and doctors um, are still allowed to practice medicine um, they have to be really careful about 
speaking about what they're able to do. They can't say that they can treat or cure COVID, but they certainly can um, guide you through an illness as a practitioner in a very safe way. <laughs> so it's it's all, it's tricky language, you know, um, of what they have to do in order to do it. And we really, you know, part of the reason why in, an Informed Life Radio exists is because you know, we really do want to have a revolution in health, one conversation at a time, one interview at a time. We need to change from, as Dr. Gaida says, we need uh, nature first, drugs last, because it's completely the reverse in the United States. We have 5% of the world's population, and we consume 70% of the pharmaceuticals. And we have the mo some of the most unhealthy populations on the planet. Um, and you know, we only have ourselves to blame and, but we can, we can do this. We can make healthy choices. Um, and it, it starts with education with all of us paying attention. I want to, uh, return just for a minute here to, to two things. One, I want to talk about why people, especially in the United States tend to be low in vitamin D. And then I want to talk about, um, other things that people may be doing that they don't realize causes them to have a more difficult time overcoming illness. And I'm talking about like Tylenol and other antipyretics, but let's start with vitamin D. So, you know, besides people not getting adequate intake and not getting enough sunshine, um, what is it that makes us so low in vitamin D? That's not a natural state of being, I would think, if you're living in harmony with nature. Okay. Well, actually vitamins are called vitamins because your body doesn't make them and you have mm. to take them in. Mm -hmm. You have to get them from somewhere else. Now you can, if you are getting enough UV against your skin, you can convert a vitamin D precursor to an active form of vitamin D. But in the winter, you know, and we're at high latitudes, mm -hmm. you don't, you don't get that. You know, we don't have enough of our skin exposed outdoors. Um, in the summer, most of us, if we run around without many clothes on outside, we will get enough UV and do that conversion, assuming we don't have significant liver or kidney disease, because you need those organs to make the precursors of vitamin mm -hmm. D. For the other vitamins, you, you just have to take them in. You know, we don't necessarily make the precursors of other mm -hmm. vitamins. Um, and then is it, um, I heard from another uh, person I interviewed about statins that, um, you know, statins will cut off a whole chain of nutrients and trying to keep you from um, creating cholesterol. I can't even say that today. Um, and, but this actually interferes with your ability to make vitamin D. You know, I didn't know that. Um, certainly yeah. it interferes with CoQ10. Um, mm -hmm. Which, which you have to have, it, um, you make it. It could be mm -hmm. a conditional nutrient. Some people need to take extra because of, you know, genetic um, mutations. Yeah. And um, then, well, that's and, interesting. Yeah, I, I just kind of felt like there were, you know, and then putting sunscreen on your skin and blocking the ability for your, your son to, um, for the sun to efficiently yeah. 
make uh, vitamin D. There's just, there's a lot of habits we have in this country that interfere with our good levels of vitamin D. And like, you know, we should be able to store it. You know, I think traditionally that if you're living a natural life, you, you get out there and get exposed during the sunny months and then you can store it up. And then if you're eating, you know, some fatty fish and different things in the winter to get you through until, you know, the sun pops out again. Um, but of course, supplementation is what we have available now to get us through the winter. But let's talk a little bit about um, some of the, um, say, over-the-counter medicines that people have no idea that when they're taking them, I call it like laying down your soldiers. If, you, if you're taking an acetaminophen product, it's, um, it's depleting your glutathione, and it's like telling your soldiers to stand down just as the army's about to invade. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> she agrees. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, right. Yeah, yeah. And and explain to like our listeners um, about what the importance of, of fever in um, overcoming viral infection. You know that I don't want to because different people have different ideas about that, and I don't think there's one answer. Yeah, okay. What, what do you tell your patients, though, if they're very uncomfortable with a fever? What's your advice as an MD? Yeah, I have to say that I don't think they've asked me. I no. think people either, either want to take, you know, Tylenol or aspirin or, or they don't, you know. Yeah. Um, I, I, when people have high fever, yes, I tell them to, to take something to knock it down. Um, or, or they'll, like, I'm talking about 103, you know, so, uh, because they are extremely uncomfortable when that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I have found that the um, homeopathy works fairly well for a fever to bring it down to a manageable level. But, you know, and everybody does have their own path. You know, if anybody's going to be taking something with acetaminophen, though, you know, you, you need to be getting those glutathione precursors in there right away or taking glutathione itself to replace it. All of the studies show that the antipyretics extend the duration of illness, increase um, viral load and increase, um, you know, severity and duration. So it, it's just I guess it's just another uh, place for individuals to explore so they make their own informed decisions when they do experience illness, right? It's good to have some glutathione around because it's the antidote for Tylenol poisoning. So, yes, which know. is very easy to do as little as one extra dose can um, can really undo you. So we got, um, about 30 seconds here, Dr. Nass. I've so enjoyed having you on the show. So where can people find you if they want to follow you? So my blog is anthraxvaccine.blogspot.com. Um, or you can Google me. Yeah. It's M E R Y L n a s s and there is a link on in informed choice washington and with that dr ness i want to say thank you again for coming on and informed life radio and bringing us your information and your experience and wisdom um it's just an honor and pleasure to know you well same here <laughs> i'm very impressed oh thank Thanks much. Well, you guys have been listening to an Inform Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW. Have a great informed weekend, everybody. 
Need information about your child's vaccinations? Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization of parents, family members, medical professionals, educators, and Washingtonians from all walks of life. They believe in personal freedoms and individual choices, including healthcare choices. Their mission is to advocate for vaccine policy reform based on scientific integrity and individual health needs, to promote education about healthy immunity, and to protect informed consent and medical freedom in Washington state. To stay informed, visit informedchoicewa.org. Informed Choice Washington envisions the future where every doctor is fully trained in identifying vaccine risk factors and recognizing vaccine injury. Every child is afforded a personalized approach to disease prevention, and every parent has the freedom to make the best healthcare decisions for themselves and their families. They know every child matters. Go to informedchoicewa.org today.